0: amen we'll take your bibles we'll start in psalm chapter 16 the 16th psalm and then we're going to be going over to john chapter 20 this morning i want to thank all of our musicians boy you've done a great job today been a blessing thank you for all the extra work and practice times and um, thank you for those that worked and uh, led in those areas. You certainly have been used of the Lord today. And we are, we're grateful that we were able to hear these songs. And um, it wasn't just the way that they were saying in a beautiful manner, but boy, the words were powerful. Told a great story today. Told of a wonderful life that Jesus lived, a sinless life. Told of his crucifixion his burial, and told us about his resurrection. But you also heard several times in here, told us that he's coming back again. And I want to kind of hit on that today of um, the promise of his resurrection was fulfilled, and because that was fulfilled, we have confidence today that his promise of his return will be fulfilled. It's not just a promise we look forward to, it's a promise you need to be ready for prepared for and i trust your hearts will be open in these next few minutes don't plan to keep us too long today but i do want us to uh, really worship the lord this morning for his resurrection and and hear the message of his soon return psalm 16 read follow along as i read all 11 verses preserve me o god for in thee do i put my trust o my soul thou hast said unto the lord thou art my lord My goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent, in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another god. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take upon their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. "'Yea, I have a goodly heritage. "'I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. "'My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. "'I have set the Lord always before me, "'because he is at my right hand. "'I shall not be moved. "'Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. "'My flesh also shall rest in hope. "'For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, "'neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption.' Thou wilt show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy. At, the right hand, at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Now over to Psalm 20, if you will. Excuse me, John 20. John 20. Brother Skinner read the first eight verses. I want to read those eight verses again and then conclude at verse number 10. John 20 verse 1 The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they have laid him Peter therefore went forth and the uh, that other disciple and came to the sepulcher so they ran both together and the other disciple did outrun Peter And came first to the sepulchre. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter, following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. For as yet... They knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. Pray with me, if you will. Father, thank you again for what you've already blessed us so much with, God. Lord, my heart has been touched and ministered to uh, by the great music today, from our musicians. Thank you for their hard work and effort. Thank you, God, for blessing them with such great talents and abilities, and Lord, for them using it for your honor and your glory. Lord, we pray now as we enter into this time of looking into your scripture, Lord, uh, we pray today that we would, you would help me, Lord, to preach the word of God with boldness and with a touch from heaven, Lord, that you would work in the hearts and lives of every individual here, or that our hearts would be soft and open to what you have for us. And again, for everything that is accomplished, we want you to get all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. On our Sunday morning services here in recent weeks and months, we've been focusing on the Psalms, preaching out of a different psalm just about every Sunday over the last few months. And I want to touch on this psalm this morning, Psalm 16. Uh, It is again a psalm of David and it is written by David uh, after or during some difficulty in his life as many of the psalms are, although not really known for sure what that particular problem was in David's life. He penned these words in Psalm 16, but as we read them it doesn't take us long to realize that the subject matter is not really David nor his problem but it's Jesus Christ. Much like last Sunday, we studied Psalm 22, and uh, we saw that it was a messianic psalm. It was a psalm where the subject matter was Jesus Christ and his crucifixion. And Psalm 16 is what we would call a messianic psalm with the focus in on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, oftentimes, these Old Testament writers uh, and, and did not often have an understanding what they were writing of, did not know what he was writing of. Uh, But um, in hindsight now, we're able to look back and to see it clearly. In fact, Peter will use this psalm, Psalm 16, and just a a few weeks after the resurrection, at a message that he preaches on what we call the Day of Pentecost. Pentecost. In fact, you're in John 20. Turn over just a handful of pages to the right and look at Acts chapter number 2. Peter, on this day, the day of Pentecost, he will use several Old Testament scriptures that he preaches from. But notice what he says when he references the same psalm we read this morning, starting in verse number 24. He says, Whom God hath raised up, speaking about Jesus, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him. Now what he's saying there, he's referring back to this psalm, Psalm 16, and he's not saying David was speaking of himself. He was saying David was speaking, whether he knew it or not, he was speaking of Jesus. For David speaketh concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption." He'll go on and preach more out of that passage and in other Old Testament passages. But basically what he is saying, if I could summarize Peter's message in those passages, is this. Listen, we've read these passages. We've learned these passages as as Jewish individuals. Those were our Old Testament scriptures. And we didn't always get it, but it was speaking about Jesus. And in hindsight now, after seeing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Peter and the others are able to say, Now it makes sense what these Old Testament writers were writing about. In fact, go back with me in John chapter number 20. Notice what John says in verse number 9. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must, must rise again from the dead. John said we didn't put it together yet. At the time of going to the tomb and seeing the empty tomb, they still had not put it all together yet. But in the weeks... And the days and the weeks and the months and the years following, it's all going to come back together. Now, the human author of the Gospel of John is the Apostle John. It's interesting that as you read through these 21 chapters, John never refers to himself by his name. He always refers to himself like he does here in John chapter 20, verse number 2, as the other disciple. Uh, he says that multiple times, or that other disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, you'll see in John 1, 2, and 3, he mentions John, but that's John the Baptist, a different guy. John doesn't refer to himself by name. And he does this because he's, he doesn't want to highlight himself or promote himself. But there's other things that we see about this, 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 uh, this writing here, the Gospel of John. He doesn't write this immediately after the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, he doesn't write it days after, weeks after, months after, or even just a few years. It's about 50 years later that John will pen these words. You ever get to sit down with someone that is in their senior years and And get to talk to them about the good old days. Uh, They are able to go back and look back at their life. Like many of us are getting to this age, we have a hard time remembering what happened yesterday. But we can remember what happened decades ago, oftentimes with great recollection, great color and vision and memory of these things. Several years ago, my dad, who's about 89 now, we, we, we thought he was 89, I've told this to the church here, for those that are new here, we thought he was 89, then he found something from the social security the other day, it said he was 90, so we don't know if my dad's 89 or 90 right now, but several years ago we took him when we think he was 83, and we, uh, we were in Arkansas, where he grew up, and I took my, him and my youngest son. Uh, we went on a drive, and we just went through the various parts of his little town and outside of town in Mount Ida, Arkansas, and and we just drove through there. And my dad would say, over there, that's uh, that's where I grew up. And so we drove up this hill. And we drove there and he said, now this house wasn't there then. Our house sat over here and it burnt down a few years after we moved out of there. And, and, and so he showed us there and he talked about a garden that was over here. And, and he'd look at the area he goes, now, now we had a barn over here. And he just shared with us these various aspects of his life. Uh, he showed, we drove back into town and, and in these old country towns they had the, uh, the town square. And he said, right here in this corner, one of these trees, when I was 11 years old, I fell out of that tree and broke my arm. And then he told us about that and he looked across the street from that tree and there was a, what used to be the drugstore and the soda fountain place. Think about those old drugstores and there was a soda fountain in there. My dad had come home from the army. And he was in there with his cousin drinking a, a, a milkshake at the fountain when my mom walked in and my dad noticed her for the very first time. He was in one of those spinny chairs and he just spun all the way around as he walked across there. And he looked at my, his cousin and he's like, Who is that? Well, that's Jimmy Wright's daughter. And my dad's like, Wow, Jimmy Wright's daughter's grown up since last time I was, saw her. And my dad began his pursuit of her. And we got to hear of these great memories going through his life, and he described them for us. And that's much of what John's gonna do as an elderly man now. He's gonna put down, of course, with the aid of the Holy Spirit, these words that he experienced these three and a half years of serving with Jesus. And he reminds us that at that time, at the day of his resurrection, they didn't understand, they didn't know all the scriptures and what they meant at that time. There were things that Jesus said to his disciples that they struggled with, all the way up to his crucifixion. They were, they were baffled by them, but it was after the resurrection, the statements of Jesus and the Old Testament scriptures start coming together. You ever work on a large puzzle like 500 or 1,000 pieces? You know, you pour all those pieces out onto the table and you look at it and like, this is an impossibility. How can I get all of these together? You start turning them over. And you start trying to get them organized. You try to find all the edge pieces and you try to look at it and you try to get that frame built and then you start putting things together here and there and it starts to look like, hey, I, I can do this. And you're looking at it and you come down to just a handful of pieces left, just a handful of empty spots. Well, church, I believe we're at that time in history. There's just a few empty pieces left. And I want us to share share this morning some thoughts about these empty pieces, how they do make sense and how they're starting to fall into place. Again, John was admitting at the time of the Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the disciples did not know everything. In fact, what we learn is that most of the followers of Jesus, on the night of his arrest, they departed. They were, when Jesus was arrested and the crucifixion and all those things began to take place, most of his followers scattered. And they began to question What about these last three and a half years? We've left everything to follow after Jesus. I'm sure they questioned, was what he preached and taught, was it real, was it true? Was he truly the Messiah that he said he was? We thought he was our king and now he's dead. But then John looked into that empty tomb. He saw the empty grave clothes he saw the empty napkin that had been wrapped about his face folded over into another place all by itself. There was a platform in there where they would lay the body, and it was empty. John saw emptiness in this, and that's when he says in verse number eight the word believed. John, in hindsight, writes these things, and he says, I believed. I knew that it was real. I may have not had it all put together, but I knew it was real when he saw the empty tomb. This event that we read of in John chapter 20 will influence these handful of followers in the days and weeks and the years and centuries to come. The empty tomb, it accomplished several things. I want to look at, some pieces that were filled in because of the empty tomb very briefly this morning. That first piece that was filled in, it proved some things. It proved that the Old Testament scriptures are true. See, in the Old Testament, we, it's not just a bunch of stories. It's not just something to fill in uh, the, the Bible. It's not just for other people. It's for all of us. The Old Testament, it it, it, it taught and told us that there was someone coming. It was always predicting that there would come a Messiah. It would always tell us that there was going to be a Christ. I've read Psalm 16. Last Sunday we read Psalm 22 and studied that. But there are many, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of, of scriptures promoting and predicting the birth, the life the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One of those, probably one of the most familiar is a passage in Isaiah. Isaiah 53, we won't take time to read it this morning, but I'd encourage you, read Isaiah 53. And when Isaiah penned those words, I doubt he had any clue what he was writing about. I doubt he had truly any understanding what he was writing as, as the Holy Spirit guided him to those words. And as those Old Testament people would read those those words, I doubt that they ever had a full comprehension of what this meant. But after the resurrection, it makes a whole lot more sense. In fact, in Acts chapter number 8, verses 26 down through verse number 39, it tells us about an account where two men come together. There's a man named Philip. He is a follower of Jesus and then there's another man, we don't know his name, he's just described for us as as the Ethiopian eunuch. He was a dignitary, he was a leader in the government there. He worked for the queen of Ethiopia. And this man from Ethiopia, he's been in Jerusalem at one of the feasts, and he picks up a scroll, a piece of scripture, and on his way home he's reading that that scroll, he's reading that scripture, and God allowed the lives of Philip and this man to intersect at just that time. And Philip asked this question, "Hey, do you understand what you're reading?" And the man says this, "How can I accept someone, teach me or show me?" And that's all Philip needed. And he got up there, and that passage in Acts chapter eight tells us that he was reading from Isaiah, what we would know as Isaiah 53. He's reading there about the the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And so Philip, as he begins talking to this man, the Ethiopian man says this, is the writer of Isaiah, is he writing about himself or some other man? And at that point, it says that Philip began to preach unto him Jesus. He told him about Jesus sinless life about his sacrificial death about his burial and no doubt about his resurrection and on that day that man from ethiopia he pulled over that chariot he read those scriptures he had them expounded to him and he called on the lord that day and professed him as a savior and then followed him afterwards in immediate baptism there was a great change in him all because these scriptures are true that's true because it's proven to us because of an empty tomb, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not only does it prove that the Old Testament Scriptures, may give you another piece to this puzzle that is proved by the empty tomb, that the words of Jesus were true. Throughout the, the Gospels, we see Jesus giving hints, and predictions and prophecies concerning his own death, his own resurrection, that what he was going to be departing from his disciples at some point, and most times it went right over their heads. Most times they just did not get it. In fact, sometimes they would even argue with Jesus about it. They said, you can't leave us. Where are you going? We're going to go with you. We're going to do all these things, and they just didn't get it. In fact, turn back just a couple of pages to your left to John chapter 13. This is just a few days before the resurrection. Jesus is in an upper room with his disciples. He's teaching them various lessons in John 13, 14, 15, and 16. He's he's investing in them. Notice what he says in chapter 13, verse 31. It says, therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, that's speaking of when Judas left to, to, to betray him, He's gone now. Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him to himself and shall straightway straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, Notice what happens in verse 36. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered, whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I not follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. This is the passage where Peter is told by Jesus, you say you'll follow me, but you're gonna deny me in just a, a, a few hours. You're gonna deny me three different times. But again, he's telling him here, I'm leaving you. You can't go where I'm going. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus speaking, let not your hearts be troubled. You know why he said that? Because at that very moment there was a there was a, a distraughtness about his disciples. They did not understand. Jesus knew their hearts were troubled. He saw their faces. They were, they were uh, amazed by this. What do you mean you're leaving us? And they're concerned. And Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In fact, that word believe here, remember John will say that in John chapter 20. I believe now. Why? because it makes sense the puzzle piece fits in now after the resurrection so it proved the old testament scriptures are true it proved that the words of jesus were true let me give you this thought about the resurrection the empty tomb let me give you another puzzle piece it will provide the fuel for these followers of jesus to turn the world upside down for jesus in Acts chapter 17, there's some followers of Jesus that are, that are being accused. And one of their ways that they're described or an accusation that comes against them is this. They've turned the world upside down. What does that mean? See, this small group of believers that had fled away from Jesus during his crucifixion will now start to come back together after the resurrection, They'll start coming together again. And for about 40 days, Jesus will be in the earth, on the earth, in and out of their lives, teaching them and coming to them and ministering to them. And then he's going to ascend into heaven. We'll read that passage in just a moment in Acts chapter 1. He's going to ascend into heaven, fulfilling what he said. I'm departing. I'm leaving. He's going to ascend. And about that time, there's about 120 followers of Jesus. 120 of them. They've all gathered together in a room there in Jerusalem. And then in the very next chapter, Acts chapter 2, is a day of Pentecost where Peter preaches. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. Again, fulfilling a promise of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them and there's a great revival service that day. And on one day, they go from 120 members of this church to 3,120 pretty good day at church amen another day or two in acts chapter 4 another 5,000 are added to the church saved and baptized now this church is off to an explosive start we're here eight over 8,000 people in just a couple of days have now been saved and baptized and added to the church and as we go through those opening chapters of the book of Acts, the church grows by, 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 by amazing numbers. In fact, they quit numbering. It was 3,000 and 5,000. Then they said we couldn't count them. There was a multitude of people. But history will tell us this, that the church grew there in Jerusalem to about 120,000 members. I was looking today, uh, just to, as I was going over my notes, I was looking to see, well, how, what does that even mean? There's there's about 50,000 people here in Woodbridge. So even larger than the city of Woodbridge was this one church there in Jerusalem. But it doesn't stop there. This church at Jerusalem, the believers, and then will thou start to scatter abroad in Acts chapter number eight. They'll go to the regions of Judea throughout the nation there and throughout Samaria. And then we'll see from there they're going to spread out into Asia. And from there they're going to make their way to Europe. Now that's where the scripture stops with this, but it's not where the church stopped. The church continues to spread throughout the world. They left Europe and they came over to North America and they sent missionaries into Africa and into the Far East, all around the world. Why is that happen, Has that happened and why is it continuing to happen? Because of an empty tomb. Because the the the, the tomb was empty. It provided the fuel for these faults. If Jesus had not rose from the dead, there would be no message. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 teaches us. Paul says, if there is no resurrection, then our faith is vain. It is empty. And then he proclaims that there is a resurrection. And that's why we go out and we preach and proclaim the truth. So it gives, proves that the Old Testament scriptures were true. It proves that the words of Jesus were true. It provided fuel for the followers of Jesus to turn this world upside down. Let me give you one more piece to this puzzle. Number four this morning, it provides us hope that this same Jesus is coming back again one day. Because there is an empty tomb, I can believe today that he's coming back just like he said he would. In Titus chapter 2, verse number 13, the return of Christ is described as the blessed hope. It's the return of Jesus Christ. Some uh, uh, you may have heard it called the rapture of the church. It's when Jesus comes back in the clouds and he calls the church home with him. It's described for us or predicted for us in Acts chapter 1. Would you turn there one more time as we look at Acts chapter number 1? We'll start in verse number six. Jesus has been with his disciples now after his resurrection, about forty days. He's been in and out of their lives, teaching them various things. Verse six. Now, he's with them. Verse six. They—that's the the followers of Jesus. About one hundred and twenty. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, "Lord." Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? See, the Old Testament scriptures predicted that Jesus would rule on a throne here on earth. He'll sit on his own throne and he'll be the king of this earth. And so they're asking, Are you going to do that right now? Now he's going to tell them, No, I'm not going to do that right now, but I will say this that will happen one day. Uh, The Lord will be here on the earth as king one day. We see it described for us in Revelation chapter 19 and 20. And we know that he's going to rule this earth one day. But here he says to them in verse 7 it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. While Jesus was on earth, these are the last recorded words we have of him that were to be witnesses of him. In Jerusalem, Judea, that's where those followers were. Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And we take that very serious for our own selves today. That we're to be witnesses in our local community, but not just here, throughout the whole world. We follow this great commission of Jesus. Verse 9 says, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he, Jesus, was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So do you get the picture here? Jesus gives his last commission, his last command. And after he's done speaking, that he begins to ascend. He begins to float up into the air and he keeps going. He gets, uh, he gets up into the clouds and he keeps going. And he ascends till they cannot see him anymore. And as they're gazing into heaven where he's departed, then suddenly two angels stand by. And they say, you men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus shall so come as you've seen him depart. As he's gone up, he's going to come back in that fashion. I remember as a little boy flying a kite once in my front yard, finally got it up into the air. That took me forever to get it up there finally. But as I got it up into the wind there and it started going, I let that string out, and that string got so far out there that I could barely see that, 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 that kite up in the clouds. It got so far away, and sometimes I'd take my eye away to talk to a friend or something, and I'd look back and I'd be like, where is it? Where's that kite at? And oh, there it is. As we were letting that string out, we came to that part of, the, uh, of those, uh, those string rolls there. Do you remember what happened there? There was a portion there where it came into two lines. And you had to cut one of those lines. You cut the wrong side, there went your kite. If you cut the right one, it would keep on rolling out. You know what I did? I cut the wrong one. That, 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 that thing made it to outer space, I guess, that kite that day. It just departed from me. Now it's never coming back. I never saw it again. But on that day, Jesus departed. And I know this today, because of the empty tomb, he is coming back one day. He will return in the same fashion. What are we to be doing? We're to be active till he comes. We're to be fulfilling that great commission. And we're to be anticipating his return. That's what he said in Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Looking... For that blessed hope, we're to be expecting, anticipating his return at any moment. I've shared this with our church family before, but I'll share it again today to prove or to illustrate this point. Uh, When Rachel and I first got married uh, 29 years ago, almost, uh, we, uh, uh, our first ministry was up in new hampshire and we lived in this little brown house and and uh we we got our first dog our first pet and uh we got this uh this this went to the pound and got a golden retriever shepherd mix and he was real small little fur ball. and he grew and we loved him his name was spurgeon i named him after the old preacher uh, uh from many years ago and and because, you know, we didn't have kids and things, I, I spent all my time with this dog, all my free time of training him, teaching him various things and taught him how to uh, play fetch with a Frisbee and catch the Frisbee and all those things in the yard and, and just had a great time with him. And one day I was out there after work and I was doing something and, uh, with him and, and and I would teach him, I would often throw something and, and I'd tell him to stay there and wait and he'd see where it went and I'd just make him stay there. I'd walk around the house make sure he stayed there and and. That, and then I would finally let him go. And one day when I was out there, Rachel hey, said, said, we need a, a gallon of milk. And there was a little corner store kind of caddy corner to us. And uh, she said, can you run over to Christie's and get a, a gallon of milk? And I said, okay. And she's like, do you want me to bring the dog? And I said, no, let's try something. And I told Spurgeon, I said, you stay. Don't move. And I start my walk away to go across the street. And I kept on reminding him, you stay. Don't leave. Stay right there. And I made it over to the edge of the street. Don't move, stay. And he just stand there staring at me and I started going across the street and I got to a corner where I wouldn't be able to see him anymore and he would not be able to see me and I said, Spurgeon, you stay. And I went over there to the corner store, bought the milk and I'm on my way back. It's probably been three or four minutes now and I'm thinking, there's no way in the world that dog's still there. There's no way in the world he's still doing what I told him to do. And when I came back across the street, I came up on that edge of that tree line there and I wanted to peek around the corner. And as I peeked around the corner this way, here's what I saw. My dog peeking around the other corner this way. (laughs) Waiting for his master to come back. Church, we need to be looking and waiting and expecting the Lord Jesus to come back. Why can we believe that? Because there's an empty tomb. The empty tomb proved the Old Testament scriptures were true, proved that Jesus' words were true, provided the fuel that these disciples needed, these followers of Jesus needed to turn the world upside down for Jesus, and proves that he's coming back one day. John said in John chapter 20, verse number 8, that he believed. Do you believe in the empty tomb today? Many people believe. In fact, there's lots of faiths out there that believe in an empty tomb. I could go this far. The book of James says that devils believe. That's the words. They believe. How awful it would be to have the belief, the knowledge, and never the faith. Never applying that to your life to have the knowledge of something but never applied it to your life see just the belief of it just the knowing of it doesn't do anything for you it's the start of a process but it doesn't save you it doesn't redeem you it has to go into another step beyond that of receiving the gift of salvation receiving in fact in john chapter 3 jesus will tell a man named Nicodemus, a good religious man. But you have to receive the gift of God to be born again. I want to just share one more passage of scripture with you. I'd ask everybody to turn that has their Bibles to Romans chapter 10. I'll look at three verses and just make a few comments and we'll be done. Romans 10. Verse 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath, well, there's our resurrection, isn't it? Raised him from the dead. Those next four words, thou shalt be saved. Belief is there, right? Belief is part of it. But there's also a confession There's also the words. There's also the mouth. He goes on to say in verse 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There is the way and the only way that a person can be made right with God. Let me just put all this in one final statement here. Jesus Christ came to this earth and he lived a perfect, sinless life. He went to the cross of Calvary where he was, where he was crucified and in that crucifixion he paid the penalty for every person in the world because we're all are sinners see the penalty for sin according to Romans chapter 6 is death We all are going to die one day and if you die without Christ you will you'll will be separated from him forever And it's an awful condemnation. It's an awful penalty to pay for our sin. We were born sinners We all have sinned and we're going to die and be separated from God forever And that's why Jesus came to pay our penalty for our sin. He died on the cross, shedding his blood, paying the price for our sins. He was buried. And by his resurrection, he was victorious over sin and over death. We believe that, but you have to receive that. You must call upon the Lord. You must call and ask him in faith, believing in your heart these things, to be saved. I'd like you to think about these last three puzzle pieces. Believe, confess, and receive. Have you ever placed them in your puzzle? You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection? Praise the Lord. Put that piece in there. But have you ever called on Him to save you? Have you ever invited Him? Have you ever admitted that you were a sinner and asked Him to forgive you of those sins and to be your Savior? Have you put that puzzle piece in there? Many people have not. They've heard the story, they believe it, but they've never received it. So this morning, before you leave, we're going to invite you to receive the gift of salvation, to put that puzzle piece in there and call on the Lord Jesus Christ for Him to be your Savior. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? want to just do some more explaining here and just for just a moment about what we do at this moment called an invitation. You've heard the message, you've heard the messages of the song today, now we want to give you an opportunity to respond to them today. Try to show from the scriptures, from all the songs today, that there's an empty tomb. The tomb is empty. And because of that, it proved the Old Testament scriptures were true. It proved that the words of Jesus were true. Uh, it, 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 It empowered that early church and the church today to continue to turn the world upside down for Jesus. Reminds us that he's returning again one day. But I ask you today, have you put all those puzzle pieces together of belief, confession, and receiving? Do you know Christ is your Savior today? I wonder this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, you say, Pastor, I've believed and I have received Christ as my Savior. I've invited Him into my life to be my Savior. I've trusted Him and I've called on Jesus Christ. And I know today that if I were to die or Jesus were to come back, that my home is in heaven with God. You have that confidence and assurance. Can you just lift your hand up just so I can see across this room? Yes, that's me. I know Christ is my Savior. I've called on Him. Thank you. May put them down. Many hands were raised, but I saw a handful that could not raise their hands this morning. I appreciate your honesty. My friend, today, you know, it is this simple of believing, having faith, and simply in your heart calling on the Lord Jesus, calling on Him to save you by faith, If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, even right there in your pew, you could just, in your heart, call on the Lord right now to save you, believing that He will. In fact, I challenge you right now. You feel that conviction, that tug in your heart? That's the Holy Spirit saying that He loves you and He wants you. And I'd encourage you right now, just say, Lord, cry out to Him, Lord, save me. Forgive me of my sins. And I ask you to save me and to take, make me one of your own. According to Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I wonder this morning, if you prayed that prayer today, you asked him to save you, even right there in your pew, would you let me know with an uplifted hand, and said, Pastor, I just asked the Lord to save me. As I look around this room, would you let me know with an uplifted hand, anybody at all? I've asked the Lord to save me. I see that hand over here on my right. Anybody else? Perhaps you're here today say, I need to do that. The opportunity is still there for you. There at your pew or here at this altar, we'd encourage you come today. Let us show you how you can be saved. Christian, he's done much for us. He's never failed us. Let us be faithful until he comes back for us to live the life that he's called us to live, to tell others about Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you take this invitation now, Lord. Use it for your honor and glory. Help us to be obedient. Help us to respond, Lord, as you've worked in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you stand right there where you're at? And as the piano begins to play, this altar is available to you today for that one that has called on the lord today come today for others that you need to would you come today there are folks here that are ready to assist and help you love to pray with you today and help you in any way would you respond this morning